What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of Podmosh. Today, I had the privilege of recording with Dr. Priest, who is the director of the kinesiology department at Tarleton State University. But first, I want to highlight a company for you. They're called Rise and Shine Bread Company. They just released their Valentine's Day menu about a week or two back, and you still have time to get your orders. And those these orders close on February 7th at 10 p.m. You can choose from an assortment of chocolate, chocolate-covered strawberries, breads, cocoa bombs, and like a whole bunch more. There's pretty much anything you want for uh, Valentine's Day. You can find them on Instagram under rsbreadco or on Facebook under Rise and Shine Bread Co. Head over to their pages, give them a shout out, you know, talk to them, see what they can do for you. Really cool. All right, so Dr. Priest, he is the director of the kinesiology department at Tarleton State University. He runs a clinic there that actually helps people who are paraplegic or, or uh, have like cerebral palsy um, walk again and it's pretty crazy how he literally just dives into how they do that. Like he's literally had people who've, who've come in, haven't been able to walk at all and then leave walking after their treatment. So really cool guy. Uh, in fact, this is one of those episodes that really, really, really started to bug me because I had everything go wrong. We actually started recording and then my Wi-Fi went out and then I had to go back inside because my mics weren't working pretty much anything that could go wrong on this episode it did <laughs> um, but Dr. Priest was really cool he actually encouraged me while everything was going wrong during the middle of our, our podcast he was like man you got it man you're, you, you're pushing through during these hard times he goes, that's what it takes and he, he really just uplifted me when I also extremely frustrated about everything that was going on it was it was literally the perfect storm for, for me during this podcast so he's just one of those guys man um He's always encouraging, always seems like he's pushing people to reach to their next level. And I, I only talk for, him for a couple hours, and if that, and uh, I can't imagine what it'd be like to actually be a patient of his. So props, Dr. Priest, you guys got to check out his clinic. Um, he wants to get this everywhere, and it's really doing some good work. So y'all check it out. All right. All right, Dr. Priest, I think we're finally on. <laughs> I apologize for all that craziness. No problem. Okay, so. First, now you you, st- you have a a workshop at the local at this local university. You do a whole lot in the field of kinesiology. You're an author, is that right? Yes, yes. I've uh, written a book and published it, and uh, told my wife I would shave my goatee off after I sold a million copies. Okay, <laughs> and I haven't yet reached the mark. Can you tell me about your book? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll show you the book in a minute uh, when we get to that point. But okay, let me let me first kind of introduce. Uh, <clears throat> we have a laboratory at the university in the School of Kinesiology. That's awesome. Right That's who we are, and we're a rapidly growing school that has over a thousand kinesiology majors. So these kids are just going through our curriculum as hard as they can and studying exercise physiology, kinesiology, uh, motor learning, adaptive and corrective exercise, therapeutic exercise. So they've got a really good basis for teaching people how to be well. So we named our lab years ago the Laboratory for Wellness and Motor Behavior. And it's been really uh, good. It started off very small in 1994, had one client. <laughs> oh, wow. And he had, he had cerebral palsy. And wow. he's spastic, right? Yeah. He has very little motor control. So um, at the time, I was young, right out of corporate America. And I had been at the Institute for Aerobic Research in Dallas. And so I moved over to the university setting. And I'm totally convinced that exercise is medicine. Exercise Mm -hmm. is wonderfully beneficial to you and me and everybody else. So when I encountered my first uh, client with cerebral palsy, my first thought was, there's no reason why this guy can't be very well, very fit. Talking about the guy, you're the cerebral palsy guy? Yeah. Okay. I'll start with him. And he was he was so enthusiastic because 
I think because I treated him normally. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't cut him any slack. Interesting. You know, I said, get your butt right here down on this recumbent bike, and I'll tell you when you can leave. <laughs> you know, and I, I did it with a good heart because yeah. I care about the guy. And uh, he started moving, and <clears throat> his spasticity didn't keep him from pedaling on this recumbent bike. So I watched him closely and I monitored his heart rate and his blood pressure response. And see, it all looked perfect. Huh. So it became real apparent that this guy has a chance to be uh, receive all the benefits of exercise. It's just that spasticity with cerebral palsy made it very difficult for him to exercise. Can he you could dive a little deeper into him. actually what cerebral palsy is? Yeah, cerebral, cerebral palsy, 85% of all the cases in America, there are like a quarter of a million of them in America. And uh, it is a, a problem in the brain that 85% of the cases occur during childbirth. Uh -huh. They experience during childbirth hypoxia. And the brain can't do without oxygen for very long. So they lose some motor control. And so these quarter of a million people in America are spastic. And you, you've seen them trying to walk. Yeah. And they just can't control their muscles. And people don't know what to do with them, right? And I approached it real simplistically that, so what? You got CP. Let's get to work. And we call it CP for cerebral palsy. And he loved it. He loved it. And I don't know why exactly, <clears throat> except... The rhythmic exercise caused his heart rate to go up uh, very much under control. Blood pressure went up. Uh, he felt great. And I treated him like normal. I mean, there, I, I don't cut him any slack. He enjoyed that. Well, 26 years later, he has never missed a workout. <clears throat> uh. He is the fittest person with cerebral palsy in the world today. Right? Wow. And, and he is very What does fit. that mean? What does that mean to be like us to be super fit in cerebral palsy? What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? He's very well. Uh, I, and I, I said, Jerry, <clears throat> I want to invite the newspaper over. And I, I, I said, I want to brag on you guy. You've been training for two years with me here and you're looking great and feeling good. Uh, I want to invite the newspaper over. I don't want you to talk to him. And he started freezing up. I said, no, Jerry, don't, don't be afraid of it. It's just, an, it's just a journalist coming over. Tell him, I want you to tell him how, how good you feel. I feel very good. Okay, well, that's not going to be quite enough. I want you to elaborate. Tell him a little bit about your workouts every day. Okay, that's good. Tell I'm I'm fishing yeah. for something I can get out of Jerry to tell the public. I want this is in the newspaper. Jeez, I want this to be big. I said, Jerry, tell them uh, how well you are. Very well. Tell them, tell them, Jerry. Uh, the last time you've been to the doctor, I don't go to the doctor. Oh, that's funny. Whoa! I said, Jerry, tell them uh, how few medicines you take. He said, I don't take medicine. I said, Jerry. Jeez, Jerry. Jerry, you're going to have to think of something, but, you know, and so as it turns out, he hasn't been to the doctor in 20 years. Huh. Well, what does that say? Exercise is very uh, helpful. <laughs> That's not a strong enough verb. <laughs> uh, curative, maybe. He still has cerebral palsy, but he is a very fit man. I said, Jerry, Tell the, tell the publisher um, last time you had a cold. I don't have a cold. I never had a cold. <laughs> tell them the last time you sneezed. I never sneezed. Jerry, <laughs> in 26 years, you never sneezed? No, sir. How about coughing? No. <laughs> anyway. That's crazy. <laughs> this grew and grew and grew so that CP... Other people with CP started coming to us. They responded the same way. One was 14 years old, and his mama saw him working out for the first time, and she's over in the corner crying. Huh. And Duncan is working out with CP on the bike, 
14 years old. He's a very smart young man that's already passed algebra. He is smiling and laughing, and he finished his first day over a thousand steps on our recumbent bike. Mama's over crying. She said, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever seen. <clears throat> well, that's the that's kind of the story of the lab. And I've now trained over 300 people in the community, school around here, the neighbors, neighborhoods come in. Uh, but they all want to access the benefits of exercise. And we train people with spinal cord injuries. And as the stories grew, I said, shit, I got to get the word out. And I couldn't get enough people to hear me and listen to me. I didn't have any podcasts available. So I wrote a book about it. And I published it out of uh, page publishing in New York City. I want to go big. I want to go big. This is huge. My wife keeps saying, Honey, quit trying to change American health care. Oh, <laughs> I geez. said, no, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to try to change. I'm not going to quit trying to change American health care. For real? Because, for instance, we have 40 stroke survivors that train with us in the lab. Well, you got to say, okay, what's a stroke? Well, a stroke is called a cerebrovascular accident, CVA. Oh. And what happens is the blood flow to the brain is interrupted with plaque in the carotid artery or in the, the cephalic arteries. Yeah. And so brain cells die and they usually cause hemiplegia. That is paralysis on one side of the body. Yeah. They can't move their arm, their leg. They're paralyzed right down the middle of the body. Six million people in America have survived stroke. And my conscience just kills me huh. because I know we can help them. Yeah. 40 people that we train in the lab, we set them on recumbent bikes and we let their strong arm power their weak arm and their strong leg power their weak leg. And they're over there working like a Trojan on our recumbent devices. And number one, they look normal. You can't tell anything's wrong with them. Why does it work? We, when people come visit the lab, they look in and there'll be 20 of us scattered around the room working here and there and kids supervising. They think it's normal. Huh. They all say, ah, fitness center. <laughs> and I'm, I'm saying, excuse me, excuse me, but the, the two guys in the back right now, those two guys right back there were, huh. are, are, are doctors. They're physicians who lost their practice because they had a stroke. They can't practice medicine anymore, and it breaks their heart that they can't practice medicine. So what we do is I sick my kinesiology majors on them, and I say, get Dr. Neal in shape again. Get Dr. Jim in shape again. We got to get him out of here. And so they start doing revolutions and cranking, and they're visiting, and they're talking. And the doctors are talking medicine and, you know, and my yeah. kids are loving them and they're loving the experience. This grew and grew and grew. And it just needs to get out of Tarleton, America. Well, can, so, you, can you tell me why it works? Like, why does it work? Good. You're asking the right questions, Caleb. It works because there's nothing wrong with these paralyzed limbs. Think about it. Think about it. Uh, I've got a quadriplegic cowboy. In fact, I've got two quadriplegic cowboys that broke their neck riding a Brahma bull. <clears throat> well, they're paralyzed from the neck down. That's what the book says. When in fact, I have two C5 quadriplegics. What does that mean? Well, they broke their neck at the fifth cervical vertebra. And everything from there down is paralyzed. That's what the book says. Well, that's not quite true because they still have biceps, normal biceps. And so what I do is I put them on and I put the stroke survivors on that have, have a strong side and a, a paralyzed side. I let the strong side, the strong muscles paralyze the weak, uh, propel the weak muscles and the weak muscles end up moving. <clears throat> well, I, I've... I presented all these res, res, results of research 
at eight different national conferences. And I'm so excited about getting to tell people. I know I'm answering your question in a roundabout way, Caleb. You said I'm getting there. I'm just over professor talk here. (laughs) I'm getting there. Hey, Caleb, it works because there's nothing wrong with their muscles after the paralysis occurs, after the CP occurs. There's nothing wrong with the muscles. And the problem is they don't have a good way to move. They're too spastic or they're too paralyzed. They can't move. So what we do is provide this room in the kinesiology building for them to come up. And I sit my kids on them and say, get them in shape, make them work. And sometimes they say, "Uh, Dr. Priest, I've never trained anybody with a stroke. I say, neither have I. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Which is a lie, but but I tell them, hey, there's nothing wrong with their limbs that are paralyzed. Move them. So we did that early on, and it looked good, and I started doing research on it. And sure enough, every bit of research that we did indicated that movement of a paralyzed limb is incredibly beneficial because, I'm answering your question, there's nothing (laughs) with the limbs they're just not being moved so what i do in this laboratory for wellness and motor behavior is i give all these 300 people and these 60 people with strokes i give them all the opportunity to move their whole body rhythmically and when you move your whole body rhythmically good things happen your heart rate goes up Your blood pressure adjusts exactly like it's supposed to. They get get well, right? And and I use that word often, and people say, yeah, but they're still paralyzed. I'm going, I know they're still paralyzed, but they're well. Uh, What does that mean? They're not sick. They don't have colds. They don't have sore throats. They don't cough. They don't sneeze. They are well people that happen to be paralyzed on part of their body. I hope that answers your question. Why does it work? It works for them, Caleb, just like it works for me and you. And I always get to the point, every time I talk to somebody about this, my name is Priest, and I start sounding like an evangelist. And I don't don't aim to be pounding the podium, but, geez, Caleb, this word has to get out. It has to. So I want you to be famous. <laughs> well, I, I want to know more about like why it works. And, you know, we, we have a culture right now. It's very interesting to me how you talked about how you, you, they told you not to change the U S medical system, <laughs> which is hilarious to me because, you know, I worked in the, uh, the medical system for a few years, six or seven years. And I see a lot of the things that you're talking about. I see how a lot of uh, the, the things that we're doing just don't work or they might cover up a lot of the, just the, the signs and symptoms and not get to the root cause. And that's kind of rampant in, in our medical system today. It's almost like you, you buy that pit, that one pill, it might fix that one issue, but it creates 10 more. And it keeps coming back. You know, it keeps you coming back. Um, and the way you're talking about the medical system and how you want to get to a lot of these root causes is very, it's, it's why a big reason why I started this podcast. I want more people to know about things like you do, the things that. Oh, thank goodness. Root cause. Thank goodness. I'm you know? so happy that you ran into Mark. Yeah. Who is a disciple of the program. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he experienced what I'm talking about. Um, every semester I have students who come to me and say, I want to work in your lab and I don't go recruiting them. They come to me, which is very nice. It's, it's like they're writing their own job description. And I say, what are you going to do for me? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I said, well, good news, but I don't either. I just want you to use everything you know about the human body to make people better when they come to the lab. How do I do that? I said, Freddie, I don't know. I don't know. But you know enough about the body that you know flexibility is good. You know 
rhythmic movement is good, you know, relaxation is good, you know, nutrition, you know, so talk to them, visit with them. And as it turns out, the, the interns that serve in here uh, in the lab give me 300 hours of volunteered work. Oh, wow. The last semester we were full-time, I had 22 volunteer interns that gave me 300 hours apiece. Hey, I can take care of a lot of people, right? By scheduling them in. Some people come in every day for an hour, every day for two hours. Some come in every other day. Some, uh, one of my stroke survivors said, <clears throat> I love coming to this lab. Y'all treat me normally. And I don't even mind getting up at 4.30. I said, 4.30? I said, what are you getting up at 4.30 for? He said, Dr. Priest, have you ever tried getting ready with one arm and one leg? <laughs> um, it takes me that long to get ready for my 8 o'clock workout. <clears throat> I mean, good grief. Do we not appreciate the value of a bunch of kinesiology kids, they, they meet these clients on the curb <clears throat> outside of our building and they walk them in, or in some cases they push them in wheelchairs into the lab. And once they get into the lab, they're surrounded by sometimes 20 other people who may have worse affliction than they do. <clears throat> so you can't feel for it, sorry for yourself, if you have a paralyzed right side and the guy on the next recumbent bike is paralyzed from the neck down. So it is a wonderful environment <clears throat> that here's, here's what happens to kids. They become selfless. Wow, that's a cool word. How many times have you been selfless in your life? Not very many. I mean, we all worry about ourselves trying to get us into the right position and get your education going. And so what happens to these kids is they serve a room full of people with paralysis and CPs and, uh, and, and problems that we have to look up in the book. I don't even know what some of them are, <laughs> but I've learned about them. And I've become more and more convinced of the incredible value of rhythmic movements. So that's what we do in there. And it ends up being so good for the students, yet so good for the clients, and another so good for the university. Jeez, it's good for us to have this reputation. And I get calls during these COVID days, and, and some of my clients say, Dr. Priest, you got to open back up. I'm dying. And they, they mean dying. And I say, I say, sir, you got you got to keep moving. I can't keep moving. I live by myself. I have no way. I can only sit on the couch and wave one arm. <laughs> I said, do it and do it a thousand times. That's all we can do. So the lab uh, has been a wonderful experience. Uh, <clears throat> let's see, post. Disable. Can I share a screen with you? Let's see if I can share a screen. I was going to show you. Uh, there are so many beautiful stories of <clears throat> what we do in the lab with our majors and with our clients that come to us. I was going to show you uh, the book. And I want people that hear this on a podcast I want them to know that this book was written for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I wrote this to give them hope. And there are, I know, six million stroke survivors that have nowhere to go. Medicine has stabilized them. And that's pretty hard. Yeah. Physical therapy has spent six weeks and milked their insurance down to nothing, which is okay. I mean, I'm not yeah. throwing rocks at the PTs. I'm just saying they're not well yet. And I'm writing another book right now on the, the prospects of replicating this lab across America. Oh, that's awesome. I want to replicate it and I want to introduce it into clinical environments. Mm. And I'm talking to physicians right now <clears throat> along these lines. Now, listen, this makes some sense. 
to me, it makes more sense on a video where I can I can show you the elevations of what I'm talking about. But just in a in a audio podcast, the physicians are irreplaceable. They got to stabilize us after problems. The PTs are irreplaceable. We got to have them. <clears throat> it's just that the insurance uh, is depleted so fast that it doesn't give catastrophic problems time to get well. So when the insurance runs out of physical therapy, that, they can't afford to train you for nothing. So they end up turning these folks out on the street. And like I say, I keep using stroke survivors. Six million have nowhere to go. Because they can't go to Planet Fitness and Anytime Fitness, and they don't have the facility to take care of them. So what I'm telling people around the country through these podcasts and my book and everything else is I want the doctors to do what they do. I want the physical therapists to do what they do. And then I want to fill the gap after the PTs milk the insurance money dry. Turn them loose to me. I can train them for nothing. My my kinesiology students uh, cost me zero money. I staff my whole lab with zero money. Now that's that's strange. Uh, well, no, it's not. I'm exploiting some really <laughs> talented kids. Really talented kids that are not yet degreed people. They don't have degrees. They don't have certifications yet. Well, they are tremendously talented. I'm putting them to work. The the U.S. Library of Congress and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office just awarded us a registration mark for Team Kinesiology. Team kinesiology, you barely see it over here on my yeah. shirt. I have for the lab. Uh, it has a registration mark on it. Well, don't take that registration mark lightly. That came from the U.S. Library of Congress. And what they said is, Dr. Priest, it appears that you have one lab unlike any other lab in the country. And so you can use this registration mark to mark your service to America. So what I want to tell the world is let's replicate this across America. How many schools of kinesiology are there in the country? Well, there's a whole lot of departments, like 300 departments of kinesiology. I want in every one of them because it's not that hard to set up. Kids need hands-on experience. Well, why not give them hands-on experience with people from the community, from the area, from the county that need you that have nowhere else to go. And when we provide them with exercise, and I I tell my trainers, I said, I want you to do not three sets of eight. You know, I don't want three sets of eight. I want a thousand repetitions. (laughs) Now you tell me when you get a thousand and we'll talk about tomorrow. (laughs) So they kind of laugh and they go, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I got that. And sure enough, we put Laura. She's a she's a T10 paraplegic, a paralyzed from here down in a car wreck. Beautiful young lady. Oh, my goodness. Paralyzed. She comes to us and my trainers, Dr. Brace, I've never trained any paraplegic. Well, let's go. What do we want to do? Uh, I think we want to move everything. Yes, that's what we want to do. Well, so we put her on a new step machine, right? That's arms and legs like this. Boom, 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 boom. Well, she can't feel her legs. Laura can't feel her legs. And I teach the kids in kinesiology about it. She has no proprioception. What does that mean? Well, she can't feel them. She don't even know where they are. They, she, they, they receive no feedback from the, the sensory nerves from that part of the body. They don't even know their legs are moving around and round unless they can see them. So we put Laura back there. First day my kid came to said, Doc, she did 500 steps the first day. Wonderful. How'd she feel? Great. What are you going to do tomorrow? Uh, 600. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so... So this continues to to evolve into one day I'm 
you know, hell, I got that ten. I'm teaching class all day. I, I can't be in there all the time. I got to trust them to do what I what I know's good for them. So I walk in after one of my classes and I say, Lara, I said, man, you're all sweaty. What's going on here? How many steps did you get today? She said, five thousand. I'm going. Oh, oh my gosh. Why'd you do uh, 5,000? And she said, because I only had an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Is that beautiful? That's awesome. Are you seeing any like positive results? Like plegics getting feeling back or walking again or anything like that? Hey, I'm not going to tell you. You got to buy my book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's fair enough. Um, in my book, I, I, I write about, and I'm writing another one about this. You asked the direct question, and I'm answering again in a roundabout way. But, okay. Joel and Hector and Kristen, out of those 300, they came in paralyzed. Joel and Hector spoke so little English. They're little Hispanic youngsters, 21, 24, right? They thought. They, they wheeled in the, in the lab in a wheelchair, and one of them had blankets over him, and his legs were extended and locked out. And I'm thinking, Hector, what, what the heck? What happened to you, man? You know, and they tell me their story. And, and uh, <clears throat> both of them thought that the doctor said that the, the spinal injury was permanent. That's what they thought. So I tell my kids. Get Joel and Hector on the new steps, and let's go to work. What are you going to do, Freddie, with the first one? Uh, I think I'm going to try to get him to move. Yeah, that's right. Get him to move. Get him on the new step and get him to move. <clears throat> what are you going to try to do? Uh, maybe 50? Okay, let's do 50. You know, <laughs> they don't yeah. know. I don't know. I just am certain that when you start moving, things good things start happening. So I watched him work with Joel. Joel got the pedals on his on his new step right here. And the trainer is going, okay, go. <laughs> He's paralyzed. He can't move. He said, all right, let's go and let's see about this leg. <clears throat> all right, go. And Joel, 21-year-old Joel. <clears throat> I mean, he can't move. He's paralyzed. And my kid is going, <clears throat> let's see, Dr. Priest wants him to move. So I guess I'm going to grab the pedals. And I'm going to grab those pedals and I'm going to take him round and round about 500 times. All right. And so I say to my kid, my, my trainer, <clears throat> how was that? He said, well, that's real hard on me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, how did Joel respond? Joel loved it. I said, what did Joel's heart rate do when you moved his legs around 500 times? He said, Doc, the heart rate went up above 100. Huh. When I'm moving Joel's legs, Joel's heart rate went up 100. Is that a good thing? He says, <laughs> oh, I think that's real good. I said, yeah. so do I, bud. All right, so this, this story just evolved and evolved and evolved. Hector and Joel both got up and walked out two years later. Oh, my gosh. They walked out. They left their wheelchairs. Now, this didn't happen overnight. Yeah. They went from wheelchair to standing. Yeah. Uh, and then the next day, they stood five seconds. And then the next day, 10. And the next 30. And then two. And then one day, they're in the parallel bars. Joel took his first step. The whole lab is celebrating. That's insane. I mean, the stroke survivors are celebrating the the uh, mus muscular dystrophy folks, and the everybody celebrates. Well, I do too. Good grief! Wow. And and then he took five steps in the parallel bars, and then ten, and then he made three three trips, and then he brought a walker to the lab. He got his cousin to get him a walker. <clears throat> he walks in. With a walker. Oh, man, this is unbelievable. Well, the kids take him around the, we call it the base path, around kinesiology hallways. He does one lap. And then next time he does two laps. And then the next day, 
He walks in without his walker. <clears throat> he has Canadian sticks that he found. <laughs> and then he gave those up. And now he's back in business with his grandma. Oh, my God. Able-bodied. Why? Medicine gave up. PT gave up on him. We took two more years of training to get him up. <clears throat> now, what's that worth? What's that worth to Joel and Hector? Jeez, immeasurable. What's it worth to America? And what I'm trying to say to America, yes, I am trying to change healthcare in America. How much is two Hispanic youngsters walking out of my lab and regaining jobs and regaining tax-paying situations? How much is that worth to America? <clears throat> That's my point. You got to take this one little old isolated lab at Tarleton, America, and you need to replicate it all around the world. Okay, but but how does it work? You keep asking that question. I, I want to know why. <laughs> so I'm tired of that. <laughs> I know, I know you are. But here's the, here's the issue. Here's the issue with people. Uh, a lot of, I know you are. I know you are. Um, you know, a lot of people right now are, are not liking the way things have been going. They or they don't understand the health literacy in America right now is is ridiculous. People just don't understand things. Very, it can be very simple things. It could be very uh, just everyday things about health, and they don't get it. Um, I don't get it. Right? So yeah. what I'm trying to do with, with this episode and, and other episodes is ask the question. Ask the question why. Why does it work? How does it work? Why is it important? Yeah, it is. Well, it works for everybody. <clears throat> the folks I've been telling you about, it works for them just like it works for able-bodied folks. Uh, there's no difference. They're paralyzed. Well, so what? Their limb works. And when their limb works, get this. I mean, there's so many things that we've learned from 26 years of operation. When, when the paralyzed limbs move thousands and thousands of times, those paralyzed muscles start to grow again. It's called hypertrophy in the yeah. training world. And, and my, my uh, paraplegic folks, they come back and I say, Doc, check this out. And they'll point to their quads. They're getting their quads back. Huh. They're still paralyzed. And the research world and the medical world criticizes because pre they say, priest, you, you're wasting your time, man. They're still paralyzed. I know some of them are, but some of them got up and walked off. How, how much is that worth? Some of them don't get up and walk off. Okay, that's okay. We're going to keep training them like we've done for Jerry. 26 years. He won't go away now. I can't get rid of him. Wow. <laughs> How does it work? It works for them just like it works for you and I. When you challenge the heart, it gets better. When you challenge your plural function, the lungs, it gets better. If you challenge your body to store more calories than they need. Your body adjusts and gives you a pot belly. Huh? Your, yeah. your body. I'm, ask, I'm answering your question. Why does this work? It works because of the miraculous human body. The body will respond to whatever you ask it to do, good or bad. And so what we do in the lab <clears throat> is we give a chance for people who are not allowed to work now, we give them a chance to work and good things start to happen. That's why it works. Muscles respond normally, even if they're paralyzed. Hearts respond normally, lungs respond normally, vascular systems, everything responds normally. That's why it works. It's just that this population with the current state of medical affairs they are falling through the cracks. Mm. The Planet Fitness can't take care of them. The Anytime Fitness, they're not quite qualified yet, and they don't have the equipment. Let me fill in the gap, and when my guys graduate, I'll send them to Planet Fitness. Mm. Right? I mean, it's, so, so I see a four-tiered 
medical delivery system. Medicine, physical therapy, team kinesiology, and community fitness centers. Then we then, I got I had to fill that gap right here. Yeah. Now, now we can service the community. So what and, kind of got you on this track? What kind of uh, kind of showed you maybe earlier on in your practice the state <clears throat> in America and American medicine? Like what caused you to want to change American medicine? Probably Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the guy that showed up? Yeah. And he enjoyed the first workout and the second one. And then he's now, by the way, finished over six million steps on my recumbent bike. Six million. I got a 75-year-old stroke survivor that that got 500,000 steps completed on our <clears throat> recumbents. <clears throat> he got well enough to get back on horseback. Oh my! He God. rode off in the sunset. 75-year-old <laughs> cowboy. Wow. I mean, what, what gave me the idea? Well, they did. And I, I read all the time about uh, about this concept and some of my favorite books I'm writing about right now, uh, Lives of the Cell by Dr. Lewis Thomas. Uh, he believed that science needs to progress on surprise. You can't predict where you're going if we got a bunch of unknowns in medicine and, and therapy. We need to go down that road as hard as we can go and see what happens. You can't predict What's going to happen if if there's no basic science for it? Why do you so think that I, I want to fill in the gap? So why do you? That's awesome. But why do you think that the the main force of of medicine today is not about this? It's more about pill versions and uh, emergency medicine. Like so, right, because I worked in the ER for a long time, I got to kind of see how the state of like chronic disease progressed whenever it's not taken care of and. Uh, it becomes yeah. an emergency issue because things aren't being taken care of. And whenever you take the acute side of medicine as the main side for healthcare, which is kind of where it's come, versus the chronic side of long-term management of these issues, we have a big issue. And that's kind of the, what's happened today. We have a primary care doctor shortage, um, increasing population, older population. And the acute side of medicine is becoming the primary force of medicine. Yeah. Medicine is evolving. It's evolving all the time. And, you know, it's changed in the last 50 years radically uh, because now we actually have some things we can do for disease and disability. <laughs> Think about before antibiotics and before vaccines, the polio and the, and all the yeah. things that we suffered through the smallpox things and, now, at least the doctors have things they can do to get you stable. But like mm -hmm. you said, that's acute care. I'm, I'm more interested in, from my perspective, as chronic care. Yeah. Well, physical therapy fills a really significant piece of this puzzle. They don't need <clears throat> physicians anymore, but they need trained physical therapists to teach them how to new, do new bowel and bladder programs. And, uh, gee, there's some things I don't want to do. Let the PTs get them stable uh, in exercise and then let team kinesiology take over. Uh, and if you need us for 20 years, hey, Jerry's keep, he, he's still coming back. We can fill this gap. And then once they, they can graduate from us, now they can take advantage of the local fitness centers. And the, I mean, one of the cheapest things on earth right now is a, uh, $50 a month membership to a fitness center. Good mm. night. Yeah. That's, that's really, really inexpensive. But to get them ready for it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have $60,000, $70,000 of special equipment in my little lab to exercise people that can't do it by themselves to get them ready for um, commercial fitness programs. Mm -hmm. That's the part that's missing. And I, I love where we are right now. <clears throat> it's frustrating because I can't get recognized. When I present at national conference, <clears throat> they, they often rush the microphone in the audience and say, Dr. Priest, you don't understand. Paralyzed people can't move. 
And I'm going, please listen to me. If if I move that paralyzed guy's legs a thousand times, he's going to benefit. But if his left side can move his right side, he's going to benefit. That's what's missing. Yeah, I want to fill that gap, and this podcast could could just be the right, um, right vector to take it to a group. I need to come to the Metroplex where there are two million people and ten million people, and right now, you know, uh, I have a beautiful audience of three hundred, mm-hmm. but it needs to be thirty thousand that are taking advantage of. All these uh, college, university, laboratories that we can put go replicate into. <clears throat> I've got one invitation, Caleb, one invitation now. First, after 26 years, a university contacted me and said, Dr. Priest, can you bring the program to us? Huh. If I could have kissed him, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is a fairly new podcast. I'm only, I've only been going for maybe two or three months. Um, but I'm in, uh, so far I'm in about 18 countries and I have uh, a pretty good head downloads. Um, my main focus is to, to do exactly what you're talking about. I want to bring awareness to people like you who have this huge passion for medicine and to fill in this gap to kind of maybe sway that pendulum away from, uh, yeah. this acute care mindset is everything to chronic management where we need to have yeah. people like you letting people walk <laughs> like par- paraplegics coming in, you know, doctors saying you can't, you'll never be able to walk in. And then you take a hold of them and say, Hey man, just go work out, <laughs> yeah. work out together. It's yeah. insane how little people are aware of the benefits of a jog down the street three times a week, or yeah. like you're saying 5,000 repetitions on a bike, like yeah. that alone increases longevity of your life by like 15 years. There's, I think, there's a study about about that on uh, PubMed, and I was reading it into. I was like, man, that's insane. Like, weightlifting is great, which we have this uh, mindset in our culture today that that's the way to get this perfect body, and then everybody's kind of in not not necessarily insecure, and that may be a uh, I should I mean maybe I shouldn't really say that, but where weightlifting is the main form of workout because it makes your body image look pretty. Yeah, the body image. Can't look pretty if you die 20 years earlier. (laughs) (laughs) True. You know, you know, there's a fine balance between aerobic and non aerobic and uh, weightlifting exercises. And we need to bring more awareness and more emphasis to how that affects medicine. You know, we have these different spheres of of life where it's all separated. Everything's been separated from you know, medicine separated out of life uh, into a category. Uh, Finance is separated out of life into a category. You have working out that's separated into a category, but they yeah. need to start talking to each other, and they're not. Yeah. My students have a, a way to just say to me what you just said to me. Said, Dr. Priest, the more I study and the more I stay in school, the more everything starts sounding alike. I said, Yes, it is. What I'm teaching you is exercise physiology. That is biology, and it is biomechanics, mm-hmm. and it is physics. <laughs> yeah. So you're exactly right. We don't need to cubbyhole everything. This is called life, and we need to optimize it. And you optimize life when you share experience. I need to come into contact with the Caleb's of the world who are um, doing different things and have different approaches and different ideas and see how we can work together. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you're doing. That's why I appreciate you so much that, um, you, you need to keep working at this and you need to keep getting better and better and let's influence a bigger and bigger audience till finally we make an impact. Well, that's all so I got to thank you. I got to thank you for the invitation and, and <clears throat> see where it might go. Maybe maybe it expands from here um, to uh, other universities. I don't know. Maybe other countries. Like you said, you're in 14 countries. I'll go to I'll go to Norway. I'll go to Germany. You're right. Just ask. Just ask. I'll I'll go and I'll tell you how to 
implement this program all around the world. It's not that hard. Yeah. In yeah. fact, some of the critics say, priests, priests, it's just exercise. I'm going, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. But they, they try to turn that around on that. That's something wrong. No, there's nothing wrong. It's just exercise. But we're doing it and you're not. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Mm. Caleb, I sound awful lot of, uh, I sound an awful lot like a college professor, Donna. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Dude, I would love some I would love to be able to uh one day be a college professor, just to be able to change a lot of these things and have a clinic of, of whatever <laughs> that I want to be able to push the bounds of science. Yeah. You know, we always think that that we're at our peak of science right now. And we're not, man. Like so much more to learn. Think about 100, 110, even 50 years ago, where we're at with like you're talking about antibiotics and vaccines. Um, it's changed the bounds of everything, you know? And I think that's where we forget. We forget that science is ever changing. And that's a big thing with COVID. There's been a lot of misinformation, a lot of changes. Um, and I think people are, are seeing that and thinking that it's something that maybe not, where in reality, science is just changing. Now, you can get into the conspiracy theories, people, whatever. It doesn't really matter. <clears throat> if we take the approach that what we know today could change tomorrow based on the evidence, things can really move forward in a really cool way. You know, yeah, I really can really can just because of, of one podcast. Uh, let me uh, make sure that any listener that has their um, need of hope, you know, there's a lot of folks that have no hope, uh, get my book. It's under my name in Amazon priest, Joe priest. And the title of the book is After Everybody Else Gave Up. Huh. Okay. And it's a beautiful read. And I, I printed it in like 14 font or something. <laughs> and because uh, I want people that, that, that I want them to be able to see it and read it. So I, yeah. my wife says, you printed it in the kindergarten font. I said, yes, I know I did. <laughs> but, but I want people to be able to see it. You yeah. know, and anyway, it's a it's a beautiful read, and it tells the story of fourteen clients, much like the ones I've passed on to you today. They're success stories, and it also uh, I interviewed a hospital administrator. It was beautiful, and he said some things uh, on my tape that he said I can't let you put that in your book. <laughs> I said, I don't like that. He said, Well. When I told you this, he said, remember when I told you that when I send my patients to you, they never come back. <laughs> he said, I don't That's want you funny. to repeat that. And, and I'm funny. thinking, well, I know what you mean. Uh, but the point was he was making, he's a hospital administrator. If patients come back to him within 30 days, he has to eat the bill. And he explained that to me. When I send patients to you, they never come back. You get them active, you get them moving, and they start on their way to getting well again. So uh, I interviewed a hospital administrator. I interviewed a physician, and he is such a brilliant physician. He had, he's had the stroke, and he can't practice medicine anymore. So I interviewed him, Dr. Neal. And, oh, he is such a, a brilliant person. And he tells a story from a, from a perspective of a physician. Oh, it's beautiful. So get the book, read about it, call me, contact me, ask me to bring this program to your university, anywhere in the world. I'll no. learn German. No, <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes. We got to get this done. Well, uh, real quick question. Um, you've spent 26 years doing this, right? Yeah. So after 26 years, you still feel like you don't have a whole lot of traction. It's growing, which is really cool. What's kept you going? Woo! The <laughs> 300 clients. The, I mean, they say to me, and it's, this is all in the book, Dr. Priest, this is my favorite time of day. I said, why is it your favorite? All we're doing is working your butt out. <laughs> <laughs> and they say, you don't understand. I have no other place to go. I have no one to listen to me and talk to me. 
I love coming to your lab. This is my favorite place. Well, how can you how can you turn that down? So I guess that keeps me going. And the fact that when we shut down for the COVID, we were training 65 clients with 22 trainers. And that was a beehive of activity. Wow. That's what keeps me going. It is thrilling to see that happening. Is there any way to mobilize that? Yeah, absolutely. Like go Tomorrow. to the arms? <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, I don't know either. Uh, home exercise is difficult. And that's where they are right now because I won't let them back into the lab till the vaccines come. Uh, and they're, they're at home. Well, mm. they don't have new steps at home. And they don't have help at home. They don't have company at home sometimes. Some of them live in old folks' homes and senior care centers. And it, they're, not, they're not happy places. Uh, can you move them to home? Yeah, but they, they lose the team environment. Yeah. They, they lose the quad training by the CP that's training by the stroke survivor that's training by the guy that uh, has had his hips replaced. How much we, of... How much of like, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was, it was a little delayed there. Um, how much of, of hope has played into people's recovery and your entire uh, department? Oh, I don't know the answer to that. And that's why my, my next research project is inviting the, the Department of Psychology over to help us determine what we're doing with these people psychologically. Ooh, that'd be interesting. I, I'm not trained to do that. All I know is they're happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I want, I want them to help me determine uh, some scientific way uh, how to measure the psychological impact huh. and then the sociological impact. Dude, sociological. I know the physiological impact. Yeah. All that. Man, I can't wait to, to hear about that. That'd be very fascinating. Yeah. Well, give me some, get me some invitations around the country. Uh, we need to tell this story around yeah. the country. It's a yeah. beautiful story. I have <clears throat> some video evidence of the kid getting up, walking off. I've got him when he came in on a video where he couldn't move at all. And I've got him walking out Golly. two and a half years later. It, it, you don't have a heart. If you can't appreciate that, you ain't got a heart in your body. <laughs> I know. I completely agree. Well, Dr. Priest, I, I would love to be able to have you on again, maybe a little bit down the, down the line. And you can tell me a little bit more about these success stories and maybe touch on more of the research as it comes in. Yeah, I got, all, I got a lot of research uh, published. I got 69 different research articles published already. What's your so favorite, what's your favorite research article that you've done? <clears throat> What's the most interesting thing that's come about it? Oh, boy. I guess the, the most interesting was when I trained this little 10-year-old bullfighter. He wanted to be a bullfighter. That's a cowboy of some kind. I don't know exactly what it is, but <laughs> he, was, he, he is, uh, has spina bifida, and his legs oh, wow. were paralyzed. And he's 10 years old, and his mama brought him into the lab, and <clears throat> we did electromyography on his quadriceps. Right. And that's that's the scientific approach to seeing what's happening in his paralyzed legs while we're moving his legs round and round and round. And so that was thrilling to find out that there's electrical activity in paralyzed limbs. Whoa. Oh, wow. In fact, I remember rushing to the to the monitor going, geez, what's this? Well, it's electrical activity from a paralyzed muscle. That was huge. And as it turns out, the scientific side of that is that's a stretch reflex from the paralyzed muscle, which again says to us that there's nothing wrong with the muscle. It's fine. You just can't move it. So with, that was thrilling. So that's amazing. So with people who are <clears throat> like spina bifida uh, or they're getting a rack and they're, they're paraplegic or quadriplegic, yeah. so what's causing them to not be able to feel or move on your back? If the muscle is fine, if there's blood flow and circulation, if they're getting oxygen, what's causing it? We need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need to talk. All right. 
There's uh, the autonomic nervous system. Oh boy, okay. this this gets let's a go. little bit scary. But no, let's go. I love okay. it. You can understand it. There are there are motor nerves that lead toward the muscle. There are sensory nerves that come from the muscle, uh-huh. and they are exactly what they sound like. The motor nerves carry the signal to the muscle that gets it to move. The sensory signal comes from the muscle back toward the brain so the brain can interpret what's going on. Uh Well, on the spinal cord injury, the motor nerve signal doesn't make it to the muscle fiber. But the sensory fibers inside the muscle fiber are alive and well. And when the muscle starts moving with me moving their legs or whatever, Although they can't move, I can move their legs. The sensory signal heads back toward the brain for an interpretation. It gets interrupted at the spinal cord. Uh. It can't make it all the way to the brain for interpretation. So the patient can't feel her legs. She don't know where they are, but the muscle is fine sending continuous signals up toward the brain, toward the brain, toward the brain. Uh. It never makes it. So they're totally paralyzed, and there's nothing wrong with their muscle. And I can pick it up with electromyography and see beautiful pictures of how every muscle is responding. And the scientific world makes me call that passive exercise. I'm okay with that. Passive exercise (laughs) means that you're not doing it. I am. I'm moving your legs. And here's the signal coming from your paralyzed legs. But, I mean, big old beautiful electromyographic signals coming from your muscles. And that, that alone, that in itself is encouraging to the, to the guy, to the gal on the, on the machine, because they look over there and they go, hey, doc, what's that? Well, that's the electrical activity coming from your quadricep. Man, huh. that's cool. That's my quadricep. Yeah, that's your quadricep. Wait, so, so it's, do- called, it's called biofeedback. Does that mean that after a few years of this, that the spinal cord actually started sending signals again and that break didn't occur or that it was grown? Not yet. Not yet. The the afferent signal, the sensory signal goes continuously. Spinal cord up, spinal cord up, spinal cord Uh up, right? It gets blocked every time. We haven't figured out how to grow back a central neuron yet. And some of the studies are going on at Stanford University in California right now uh, with stem cell implants into the spinal column, hoping to figure out how to grow those central neurons back together. Hadn't happened yet. Mm. When it does, we're, we've hit a home run. So then why did that guy walk out? Huh? What, so then why did that guy walk out? What's the explanation for that guy walking out? His injury was incomplete. Uh, but the doctors assumed it was complete. Gotcha. And what we've learned <clears throat> through all of this 26 years is the body has amazing ability to recover. Mm-hmm. If it's possible, the, the, the body can figure out how to do it. If it's impossible, like a complete spinal cord severage there, uh, the body hadn't, hadn't got that figured out yet because it can't grow up. Cross that gap. So I'm gonna but throw a, where a science little, comes in. Yeah, I'm gonna throw a little curveball at you. Um, okay. <clears throat> have you ever thought about incorporating mass breathing techniques into what you do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a place for that. Uh, it's called restricted breathing, or is that what you said? Restricted well, breathing, mass. Well, no, like, uh, so for instance, a while back, I got into breathing techniques, different types. And I started doing the research because I want to know why it works. Cause I was doing things at the gym that I had never been able to do, or I, I, I my, my, uh, response time. I mean, I can do like 80 pushups now without breathing, um, after a breathing, a set of breathing techniques. And the research behind it is really interesting. And you talk about the central nervous system, the autonomic nervous system. Well, these types of breathing techniques are showing that you can actually voluntarily control the autonomic nervous system in ways that are, are fascinating. Everything from thermal regulation to uh, like oxygen rich environment, you're basically creating a, an extremely oxygen rich environment. So I'm curious if something like what you're doing where you're exercising these people, 
in a oxygen depleted environment because they haven't been moving it and they haven't been working it out. I wonder if you incorporate these types of breathing techniques with their exercise, if it'll increase their time in uh, healing. Definite maybe. Yeah. I mean, seriously, my head. that's, that's a basic science. And you're thinking like a basic scientist. You're looking for underlying possibilities that might help. Well, yeah. there's a really good place for you. It's called laboratory research. Yeah. And the, the trouble is I can't do that kind of research on human subjects very easily yeah. um, because it it's uh, I'm subjecting my folks to a hypoxic environment. Right. And I, I don't know how this research. Gonna... It's really, really interesting. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. And uh, some of my compadres here at the university uh, do studies on rats and mice yeah. in the biology department, and they can do that to them. Yeah. <laughs> they can kill those rats. Well, uh, Dr. Priest, is there anything else you would like to kind of finish this podcast? <clears throat> oh, I just encourage folks out there who feel hopeless right now because of disease, disability, injury, or whatever. Uh, boy, hang in there. Don't give up. Uh, keep looking for programs like ours. Hopefully we can bring programs to you. And uh, we, we watch what happens when you get active uh, with thousand repetition exercise. Uh, you can get better. Everybody can get better. So thank you for the opportunity, Caleb. I appreciate it. And uh, I do uh, hope we'll cross paths again. Yeah, I really appreciate you, Dr. Priest. You have a good day. All right. You too, man. Bye. Adios.